Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, this is interesting. Stories today suggesting uh, Apple may soon abandon iTunes, which has been huge for them. You think, well, what the hell? why on earth would they abandon iTunes? And, and if they are, they've not yet confirmed this, but clearly it's in response to shifting trends. They spent a lot of money to acquire Beats Music, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, and that's now Apple Music. And that, that tends to be more the model now. It's not just Apple. you got Spotify and others. Well, that's how people get music. You don't have to physically own the music. Or you don't have to download the music. You essentially rent it. You've got access to it. And it's like the Netflix model. You don't need a zillion DVDs on your shelf. The movies are there if you need them and if you pay a certain amount of money each month. So whether or not iTunes is going to die next year, as some of these stories have suggested, that's kind of the direction things are going. It's a lot easier for people to just rent music, stream music. You don't have to take up space on your device or your phone, whatever. And you can basically access what you want to access. And certainly, too, I think as, as you know, we get into an era where you get more and more data with your plans, that's, that's less of an obstacle for people who want to uh, stream music wherever they go. But at the same time, we, we see a bit of nostalgia for the way things used to be, and there's a lot more interest in, in vinyl, for example. Sales of vinyl records have really been surging in recent years. So what do we make of all of these trends? Joining us for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program, professional music geek, Alan Cross, writer, broadcaster, uh, public speaker. Alan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, this story has been driving me nuts. Well, tell us why. Well, this comes from one single source. There's a website called Digital Music News. They claim that they have inside sources at Apple that have been hinting towards a shutdown of the iTunes Music Store for at least the last six months, maybe a little bit longer. And all the stories that we've seen over the last week can be traced to this one website in this one story. Um, iTunes controls the vast majority of the download music market, about 70%, maybe more, of the world. And although they don't break out exactly how much they make from it, uh, they certainly are very proud of the tradition that they have of selling digital music files. This idea that next year they're going to phase this out sounds absolutely crazy to me. Jimmy Iovine, who was the head of music for um, Apple, did say in an interview with the BBC that they would stop selling downloads when people stopped buying them. Well, when is that going to be? Is it going to be you know next week, five years from now, ten years from now? It doesn't make a lot of sense for Apple to abandon a corner of the market that they basically that they basically had to themselves for the globe. Yeah, I mean, certainly streaming is is becoming the the more dominant, the predominant way where where people are accessing music. So there's no doubt that there are fewer people buying and downloading music. But yeah, if if there are still people willing to do so, why would Apple close up shop? Well, that that's the point. And um, there we we can go get a little conspiratorial about this. Apple Music now has. 40 million paying subscribers for their streaming music service. They're way behind Spotify, but and they really want to catch up. One thing that you have to understand is that the average music spent, the amount of money the average human being spends on acquiring music, not streaming it, but actually acquiring it, is somewhere between $35 and $40 a year. 
And that includes all the digital downloads they may purchase over the course of a year because we're not buying full albums anymore. We're buying songs for $0.69 cents or $0.99 cents or $1.29. If Apple uh, is looking long-term, they want us to spend nine ninety nine a month or fourteen ninety nine a month, which would mean our yearly spend would go from thirty five or forty dollars to around one hundred and twenty dollars. So you can see their financial motivations for something like this. But this idea of music not being uh, possessable, the idea of me not being able to take a music file that I have purchased and do whatever I want with it, transfer it wherever, you know, from whatever device I want to transfer it to without having to incur data charges, without having to worry about whether or not my credit card gets rejected and all my songs disappear from my from my devices. Right. Um, you know, I, I that, that really bothers me because it would send us right back to 1995 where if you wanted a song and you wanted to possess it, you would have to go to the record store or you would have to go someplace where you could physically purchase a copy. And that just seems just nuts to me. Just nuts. Right. Okay. But but just to reinforce the point you made, that, that in terms of downloading versus streaming, Apple's, there's more money to be made in streaming. There is, potentially, yes. I mean, if we look at Canadian figures, uh, streaming is up 55% over this time last year, while digital album sales are down 25%, digital track sales are down 20%. The only thing that's seeing any kind of uh, uplift is streaming and vinyl, which is up almost 50% over last year. So they, they want us to spend more money. They want us to get into the habit of uh, using our personal devices. They want to get in the habit of, of uh, being able to, uh, you know, collect all kinds of data from the streams. I mean, this is another thing that's really, really important to record labels and managers and artists. Like, who is listening to my music when and where are they? And with things like CDs or vinyl or purchasing digital tracks, we don't know anything about uh, they don't know anything about the listening habits, the consumption habits of of people who are who are like they do with with people who are streaming. So you can see why the industry would want to push us in that particular direction, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily for our for our benefit; it's for theirs. What about the record companies and the artists themselves? And I know they've had complaints about you know how much they're getting per stream from from some of these these services. But I mean, you know, sure they'd love to go back to twenty years ago. But what, what do they prefer? That's a tough question. Um, the promise of streaming is that if the pool of users gets big enough, then the payouts will become larger. Now, how big that pool has to become? is is up in the air we don't we don't know it's a big mystery so artists are making uh let's say for example you sell a song for 99 cents uh on on itunes uh, apple keeps 30 30 percent of that so 30 cents and 70 percent gets divided up between the artist and, and the record label so that's a, a whole lot more than the fraction of a fraction of the cent that you're going to get from a single stream so artists i can imagine will go into this you know, when it does happen, like five years, ten years down the road, kicking and screaming because, again, their revenue streams have been cut. And for the consumer, I mean, the idea of, you know, opening your, your app on your device and just having access to a world of music, I mean, there's something to be said for that. But as you say, I mean, that that's not owned by you and that can be taken away from you. So there's certainly a downside as well. That's right. So let's say, for example... And this has happened to me. I had a, uh, I have a subscription for, for something that requires my business credit card. 
the day before uh, I, my monthly payment went through, uh, my card was compromised somewhere. Somebody in Los Angeles tried to use it to buy some shoes at Saks Fifth Avenue. And American Express immediately cut off my card. Well, the following day, I, before I knew that anything was going wrong, the subscription service that was going to debit my credit card for another month's worth of service shut me down because my credit card didn't work. And all the stuff that I had disappeared. It wasn't my fault, but you can see where the problem lies. If I, that stuff had been resident, if that software had been resident on my, my computer, then I wouldn't have, have lost access to it. Now, imagine if that happens to you. You've you know, been streaming like thousands of songs, and you've taken advantage of making those tracks uh, available on your device. It's called making those these tracks resident, so you don't have to necessarily be online to listen to them. Um, but what happens if your credit card gets compromised uh, on a crucial day, and you're cut off, and then all those songs disappear? Right. Uh, you know, one solution is to actually own the music, to have it in your house on your shelf. And, you know, it gets, gets into the, the comeback, the resurgence uh, of vinyl. You've been writing a, a lot about vinyl recently. we got high-def vinyl maybe on the way. Uh, how real is this, this trend? Which, the, uh, the, the movement towards vinyl? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's big. Um, like I said, uh, year over year, Canada up 48.7%, I think. Um, it's still a, a fraction of what people are spending on CDs and other physical products. But, I mean, you know, 50% growth in 12 years. And this has been going on since 2008. That's when we had the first ever record store day. And that's when things began to turn around for vinyl. Uh, and, and we see that turntable sales continue to go up. We see that uh, sales of new vinyl continue to go up. Uh, we don't see uh, the statistics for the sales of used vinyl, but I know people who are in that racket, and they're telling me that they've never been busier and they've never sold more stuff ever. I have uh, people coming over to my house all the time asking if they can buy my collection. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. Um, and then, you know, we're going to have Record Store Day again uh, in, uh, later on this month, uh, in, in next week, as a matter of fact, next Saturday, the, 20, uh, the 21st. And we're going to see another jump in, in people buying buying these records. Um, We just heard about this Austrian company called Rebeat, which has figured out a way to increase the sonic properties, to improve the sonic properties of vinyl, um, which which would be the first, if if it sticks, it would be the first true innovation in vinyl since Elvis went into the Army in 1957. That was the year stereo records were introduced. You know, we've been using the the, the, rotating disc technology since the very late 1800s, so this would be a big deal. And the, the other thing that's happening, and this, which has allowed this, this company in Austria is to, uh, to do this, is that people are investing in new pressing plants and new vinyl pressing technology. It used to be that any pressing plants that existed were using equipment from the 1970s or maybe the 1980s. But now people are buying so much of this stuff that they're not only refurbishing and, and bringing old vinyl pressing gear out of, of storage, they're actually building and innovating new stuff. So this is, this is not a short-term thing. We're into year 11 of this expansion, this resurrection of vinyl, and it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, much more in all of this, journalofmusicthings.com. Alan, always great talking to you. Thanks for joining us here. Anytime. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.